ladies and gentlemen, show month has begun for me. One show down, got four to go in the next 30 days, and I wouldn't be surprised if I am skint by the end of it. In it was Polychemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you have all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, man, I'm I'm hyped for this. Honestly, I'm I'm hyped for this. this I, I was I was kind of I was kind of nervous, right? Getting getting going, right? So I was I was on the way uh, to King's Cross to go to King's Place, which is just up the road from it, from the station itself, and uh, to see Irreversible Entanglements. Um, so if you didn't episode, whatever it was, last month, um, I did make a mention to a jazz festival, um, I think ERG, London Jazz Festival uh, is the full name, and basically they've got jazz shows going on for the whole week, uh, for, for two weeks, uh, in certain places, King's Place being one of those, um, there's a couple of shows going on at Jazz Cafe, uh, somewhere in Brixton as well, um, so yeah, it's, it's all over London, right? And um, yeah, so... I went to see Irreversible Tanglements uh, the last Saturday, and that was amazing. If you haven't listened to them before, they're not exactly a gateway group um, to get if you want to get into jazz. Um, they're very uh, they refer to themselves as agit jazz on one of their uh, on one of their bandcamp descriptions, and I feel that that's a good uh, you know exp- uh, kind of a tagline for them. Um, it's very just a. Uh, loud and it can get erratic can be like a lot of things going on at once right um but it it's very chaotic and i kind of like that and i was really into it at the at, in the moment it was uh yeah it was, it's kind of there's something about that there's something about that just that all that chaos going around you and it's just like you know just this trumpet blaring at you and then this is saxophone going at you and then the drummer's keeping beat and then uh more mother who's uh basically a a, a, a poet um, she's going off, um, just shouting stuff, and uh, this is double bass, like strumming. You can see his fingers just going all over the place. It's it's just yeah, it's very it's very erratic and very chaotic, and uh, I, 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 I don't know. It, it's not it's not something I listen to regularly, right? But um, it's in in a in one instance of going to a show of, of just to see that is very interesting. Um, just to you know, just to, you got to you got to um, branch out a little bit, you know. What I mean, just do something, peep something different, and that was definitely different. Um, so yeah, I got four more shows. I got um, a couple in well, most of them in London. I got one in Birmingham uh, uh, next month. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun. Um, and honestly, I'm not even kidding when I say I might be skinned by the end of it. <laughs> oh gosh, the amount of trade tickets, Jesus Christ, and just a hotel for oh god. Mad ting. Anyway, um, let's get into the show. Um, we've got uh, two life uh, music and film and TV. It's gonna be fun for this one. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this one. Gonna be talking about stuff I've been meaning to talk about for a while. So um, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be very interesting. Four minutes before we begin, email to IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that. In the full show notes, go peep the articles for yourself, give them a read, and support the writers and make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. Let's get into the show. 
in a week where F. W. de Klerk, uh, the last president of apartheid South Africa, dies aged 85. Uh, Belarus, Belarus, Belarusian and Polish tensions rise as migrants continue to wait at the border. Uh, that's just, yeah, that's that's gonna, that's gonna keep on going for a while. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad these moments, you know, when you see that, and you're just seeing, you know, hundreds of just migrants trying to get into Europe and, you know, search for a better life. Um, all I, all I, all I think about when it comes to that is, um, you think this is bad. Just wait for, we'll just wait for the climate refugees uh, when, you know, several islands of note are underwater. Just going to say that. Uh, COP26 goes into overtime as negotiations over 1.5 degrees and other issues continue. Well, they've officially finished, but um, they were continuing as I was, uh, as I wrote that. Remember, it's Sunday, comes and goes, and lastly, a taxi explodes outside the Liverpool hospital, killing one man and considered a terrorist incident. But we begin with political corruption. This is our first of uh, second, uh, first of two uh, life segments. And yeah, I've been I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Um, obviously, in recent uh, in the recent months or so, uh, a lot of the talk around uh, the government has been around corruption. I mean, it's it's so funny to me. I've I've said this before, but I've, I find it so interesting. I was I was looking for that moment. I was waiting for the moment. I was like. Throughout all of the things that the, that the Tory government has done over the past 10 years, I was really wondering what was going to be the reason that in any point they would be, they, they, uh, that Labour would overtake them in the polls, okay? I was waiting. Was it Grenfell? No, no. Was it response to Grenfell? No, no, no. Was it, um, I don't know, a crime, homelessness, police? Uh, child poverty, maybe, food banks, maybe, no, austerity, no, no, none of that, none of that, in this case, it was just, um, the fact that, uh, politicians, uh, certain MPs in the Tory government have, se- have second jobs, I love it, I love how that's the straw that broke the camel's back, that's the one that got the public riled up, the fact that MPs have second jobs, and that's an easy, and that's a fine thing to, you know, be angry over, but I'm just wondering why you guys weren't angry over, everything else, but that's neither here nor there. So let's get into this. This is uh, via, the byline, via Byline Times, um, by uh, written by Sam Bright. It's called How Political Corruption Works in the UK. Very simple title, and uh, yeah, let's, jump, let's just jump right in. No longer something that happens everywhere else, in supposedly less civilised parts of the world. Accusations of corruption are finally being levelled at Westminster political system. And I will say, there have been, you know, multiple times over the decades, right, where there's been, you know, certain people... There was a guy, I forgot who, I forgot the name, and I, I heard this anecdote recently, there was a guy who was, like, um, I don't know if he was in the, ma- in the mafia, or was, like, against the mafia in, in, in some capacity... And he went to the, and he came to the UK to basically, I don't know, let's just say, escape the mafia, right? And just get out of Italy, right? And he said, literally, the UK is more corrupt than the mafia. And I just, I was just like, well, what are we doing here then? <laughs> you know what I mean, if if this guy who was so deeply entrenched in the mafia in some fashion thinks the UK government is more corrupt than, or the UK in general is more corrupt than the mafia. The Italian Mafia, I mean, just says it all, but anyway, let's just go for what Sam Bright says and just say some, you know, recent, uh, uh, recent levels of corruption. Anyway, these claims have been triggered by a scandal involving Owen Patterson, a soon-to-be former Conservative MP uh, who retains two private sector jobs alongside his parliamentary duties, which pay him more than 100k a year. 
The Parliamentary Standards Commission uh, Commissioner found Patterson guilty of an quote egregious breach of lobbying uh, rules in advocating on behalf of these companies and handed down a 30-day suspension. Excuse me to the North Shropshire MP. Prime Minister first attempted to overturn the suspension before his plan unravelled, ultimately resulting in Patterson announcing his belated re- resignation from Parliament. However, while tales of corruption now uh, dominate the front pages of national newspapers, the full details have been seeping out of Westminster for years, largely unnoticed, or at least marginalised by the majority of the mainstream press. The problem is more extensive and more systemic than, than even the current headlines suggest. Exactly my point. Uh, Money still buys privilege and access in British politics, as acutely seen in the Conservative Party, which harvested £13 million from individual donors during the 2019 general election campaign. Labour, by contrast, is mostly funded by trade unions. This results in access. Uh, The Conservative Party has has created a system of incentives for big money donors, offering perks to individuals who donate the most. More than 80% of Conservative funding for the 2019 election came from members of the Leaders Group, an elite dining society. (laughs) Dining. (laughs) It's like they just have dinner and just chill. I love it. Um, Dining society reserved for the most generous uh, Conservative donors. Its membership is reserved for those who have donated at least 50k to the party in a single year. In exchange, members can attend exclusive events with senior cabinet cabinet members and Conservative figures. Open Democracy revealed in uh, November 2019 that Boris Johnson had attended at least six meetings of the leaders group since 2016, while the summits were regularly held at official government residences. For donors who seek an even closer relationship with senior conservatives, exclusive events are regularly offered by the party. Notoriously, a former Russian minister's wife paid 160 k to play a tennis match with Johnson and then Prime Minister David Cameron in 2014. The Conservative Party have received, has received in excess of £3.5 million from Russian donors since 2010. That's just... That's just a wow. That's just an iceberg waiting to be dug into. Um, the privilege access awarded to conservative donors has been in full view during the coronavirus pandemic, partly as a consequence of the government's desperate attempts to pro, uh, procure services from the private sector. Uh, I did a segment on this during the pandemic. I don't, I forget what episode specifically, um, but I remember uh, vividly talking about. Um, all of the, not all of them, but just, uh, I think it was my byline times as well, actually. Um, just a list of uh, private um, uh, companies that managed to get, you know, PPE and stuff like that and just get all the contracts for those certain things, even though they had zero to do with the actual, uh, you know, procurement of whatever aid it, or what it was supposed to be doing. Whatever job it was supposed to be doing, they had nothing to do with it. Anyway, let's continue. In, uh, indeed, former Health Minister Lord James Bethel, uh, who led the government's work with private companies, has openly admitted that, quote, informal arrangements, unquote, were used in public sector procurement. Lord Bethel's candor, uh, candour uh, came in response to scrutiny from House of Lords members after Byline Times revealed, there we go, revealed that the minister had conducted a private meeting with a conservative party donor a month before his firm was awarded COVID contracts without competition worth hundreds of millions of pounds. There we go. Uh, the global supply of PPE uh, co- completely collapsed, uh, quote unquote, after the onset of pandemic, Lord Bethel said, prom- uh, 
prompting the government to rely on, quote, a very large network of contacts and informal arrangements in order to reach the people who can manufacture, often moving their manufacturing from one product to another, unquote. Byline Times was also the first newspaper to reveal private meeting held... Uh, the private meeting held between Lord Bethel, Patterson, and one of the companies that employed, employs Patterson, held on April 6th, 2020. The company in question has subsequently been awarded COVID-related contracts worth roughly half a billion pounds. In total, government contracts worth at least three billion uh, have been awarded to conservative friends and donors during the crisis. Byline Times and the citizens have calculated. Several of Lord Bethel's meetings uh, during the early stages of pandemic were also attended by a fo- former Conservative Treasurer Lord Andrew Feldman, the party's uh, former chief fundraiser who worked as an unpaid advisor to Lord Bethel between March and May last year. The government's own anti-corruption strategy prioritises, quote, greater procurement transparency, unquote, as one of its goals alongside, quote, greater confidence in efficient and legitimate contract management, unquote. However, the government has staunchly refused to release the minutes of Patterson's meeting with Lord Bethel and has been found guilty of acting unlawfully in failing to promptly release the details of its deals with private firms. It's just as if, like, they're just hiding shit. It's, just, it's weird, isn't it? Mm. It just, just feels off to me, uh, you know, when they do that kind of stuff. Uh, the government's anti-corruption champion responsible for implementing the anti-corruption strategy is John Penrose MP. He is the husband of Baroness Dido Harding, the head of Test and Trace program. <laughs> but the intersection of public uh, sector appointments and political party donations has not only been witnessed in relation to the pandemic. The byline intelligence team has calculated that a quarter of top conservative donors, those who have donated more than 100k to the party, have received lit- a title or a peerage. Of the conservative party's 20 biggest donors since 2010, those donating more than 1.5 million, 55%, 11 people have received an honour or a title. 10 were given those these perks, these perks in the past decade. A more recent trend, one calculated uh, and one calculated extensively by Byline Times, has been a concerted attempt to appoint conservative union figures to public bodies. One former government official told the Financial Times that there, that quote there has been a loss of placement of political cronies, unquote, and that, quote, number 10 has taken a close interest uh, in it for the past year and a half, unquote. It has been calculated, for example, that at least 16 Conservative Party allies have been given supposedly independent roles in government departments. Times was revealed last December, for example, that Jacob Rees-Mogg, a uh, business partner, also a former Conservative Party vice chair, had been appointed as a non-executive director of the Department for International Trade. He was appointed alongside Douglas Carswell, a former Conservative MP and senior figure, and he said senior figure, um, <laughs> in the Vote Leave EU referendum campaign. Other government and non-executive directors include Ben Goldsmith, a uh, Conservative donor and brother of Minister Lord Zach Goldsmith, uh, Gisela Stewart, co-chair of the Vote Leave campaign, and Nick Timothy, a former advisor to Theresa May, and a Telegraph columnist. You can't. You just can't write this shit. You you simply can't. It's this is the, the links are so obvious. It's oh, it's, it's so out there. Like not, not to not to like say the the guy that you know the byline intelligence team and byline times as a, as a collective, you know, aren't doing you know real decent work here. But you know, it's just if it, I feel like you know since you see the names, you see 
goldsmith goldsmith and you're just like okay let's dig into that a bit let's see what's there you know what i mean because it has to be right you know what i mean if if they're in sim very similar circles it's just it's just bound to be something there Anyway, let's get into these last set of paragraphs. Uh, Owen Patterson's breach of lobbying rules uh, was one of the most blatant in recent times, but the infiltration of private firms into Parliament is widespread. Parliament Times calculated that 59 Conservative MPs who actively support the reversal of Patterson's recommend recommended suspension have private sector jobs alongside their parliamentary duties worth in excess of $1 million a year. New proposals have now been mooted... Uh, that would see a ban on MPs consult for private firms, but that has, as I, you know, say, as I record, uh, Boris Johnson did introduce um, uh, basically legislation, basically 180ing all this shit. Excuse me. We'll see how that goes um, in general, but um, you know, as of the, as of the as of this recording, um, that has recently changed. So just to note that. Um, uh, a move uh, backed by 79% of uh, respondents in a recent independent Oz Om Omnisys poll, I think that's what you say, commissioned by Byland Times. And The Guardian has revealed that, revealed that 30 MPs will be forced to give up their second jobs as a result. I feel like 30 is way too small a number, but that's just me. Uh, this over-employment of MPs by private companies combi combined with the sheer scale of private sector donations to the Conservative Party outlined above has the potential to skew government policy in favour of corporate interests, not to mention the possibility of these firms winning public contracts. Consequently, it is perhaps a of little surprise that a majority, 58%, of people polled by Omnisys believe that Johnson's government is corrupt. 27 people asked... Uh, People asked strongly agreed that it is, while 31% agreed. 26 neither agreed nor disagreed, 38% disagreed, and only 3% strongly disagreed. Of those who voted for Conservatives in 2019 general election, 37% of those surveyed said that they believe that the government is corrupt, while 32% disagreed. I don't know, I feel like that's a very, like, just the, the fact that those both of those numbers are very similar is just, um, I don't know, it just says a lot there. But, there you go, but then they'll still vote for conservatives, you know what I mean? I'm not saying, and this is, when I say that, guys, you know, I just want to, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, I just want to reiterate. When I say don't vote for conservatives, I'm not saying vote for Labour. I'm just saying don't vote for conservatives, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the, we have the blessing of a several party system, right? Go with what, go with what, please, just be independent and actually look up, you know, policies that other government, that other parties are doing. Don't just look at Labour. Don't just look at Lib Dems. Just look at others. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't fuck with UKIP people, but shit, man. At least they're, at least they're switching it up. You know what I mean? At least they're just not going with the status quo that the Conservatives are going to. You know what I mean? Just, 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 just be independent. Just look at something. Just look at something different. I hardly believe that all of you, you know, just vote conservatives because you really truly believe. You just don't like Labour, and you, therefore you just vote for conservative. Um, but you know, that's the game. That's the game people play with themselves. Anyway, yet until the dam broke last week, few in the mainstream press has, had been willing to expose the co corrupting forces to undermine, underwrite the Westminster system. This is perhaps because the media is owned by the same forces, by right-wing billionaires who meet in private with senior government ministers. Fact. The corruption affecting British politics is not the sort that is depicted in Hollywood films. There is no clandestine exchange of brown envelopes for favourable government treatment. The process is more complex, underhand, and arguably more sinister. So yeah, that's the entire article from start to finish. And um, yeah, it's just... Um, it's. I'm not... 
I'm really not surprised at all of it. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that these, you know, private companies just have this. Um, I, I just don't believe that donors should just get this much power. You know what I mean? To have and to get in these people's ears this easily. You know what I mean? That's basically that's that we're the we are the public, right? And I don't donate to political parties, right? So so that means my by by you know by this logic right of of what uh, these donors are doing and the benefits they're getting as of uh, because of they do- their donations they mean more than me and that just doesn't make sense to me in a democratic society that doesn't make sense i'm a person who votes they are also people who vote just because they give money to them doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they should have to have the ability to get in these people's ear this easily you know what I mean? Just have, bro, a Russian, a Russian woman paid some money to play tennis with Boris Johnson, David Cameron. Are you fucking serious? Is this what we're doing here? Are we? Are we really doing this? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's illogical. And you know, there's plenty of, uh, you know, Mr. Brian mentioned, you know, Hollywood films, but there is a lot of Hollywood films that mention these that, and and especially TV shows that ride this kind of wave of um. You know, oh, uh, uh, you know, I I gave you money, right? I gave you money, so you do what I tell you to. You know what I mean? Otherwise, otherwise, where will that money go? But that money might go somewhere else. Maybe that money goes to your opponent. You know, just maybe, maybe. I'm willing to do that. You know what I mean? And I I I literally just finished watching Snowfall. Um, the you know the seasons have come uh, come through. Obviously, there's a new season coming coming soon. But you know, I'm I'm up to date on Snowfall. And literally, the last season, recent the most recent season, uh, had this undertone of um, uh, uh, Franklin's mother, you know, just going to this uh, politician and giving the money to you know for that for just to get some power right and saying like I am aware of the you know this so. You know, I've given you some money. Maybe you help me out on something, and I'll scratch your back. You know what I mean? This scratch, this this collective back scratching is just—it's just ugly. It's just so ugly, and that doesn't even bring into the you know the second job shit, um, which is totally different. Where Owen Patterson gets 100k just to do nothing. Give me, give me, t- give me a tenth of that. Right for 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 I don't know however many hours he did. Give me a tenth of those hours, and I'll, and I'll give you more information. I'll I'll help you more than Owen Patterson probably did, and I would appreciate that money much more. Trust me. You know what I mean? I don't know what those jobs were, but I highly doubt they were highly. You know, and th- and that's another thing. You're an MP, bro. Help your people. I I I, re- I know he's resigned now, so there's going to be a by-election. But I just really wonder what the what his uh, constituents really thought at that point, um, and would they have changed their tune if you know if there was a by-election like a week after? I just wonder that. But anyway, UK political uh, system is corrupt. I'm not surprised. Nothing new under the sun. Under the sun. Under the sun. But. Jesus Christ, it's just getting more and more obvious as uh, as these kind of reports and, uh, you know, great reporting uh, comes uh, sh- shines more of a, a light on this, frankly, just uh, crony bullshit.
first hop into music, and uh, this is all about uh, vinyl delays. Um, apparently, there is a uh, just a widespread vinyl delay um, on the supply chain in terms of just making them and getting them out. Um, and some people are thinking Adele is to blame for that. Um, but there's an article here by Andrew Trendle uh, via Enemy, who uh, uh, well that reports that music industry insiders um, say that Adele is not the problem. So let's find out what the problem is. It's called what's causing the vinyl delay. Adele's not the problem. Say music industry insiders. Let's jump right in. Figures from the music industry have spoken to NME about uh, what's really causing delays in manufacturing vinyl and artists getting their albums made, arguing that the blame does not lie at the feet of Adele. Reports have emerged in recent weeks of a crisis facing vinyl lovers, with sources telling Variety that more than 500,000 copies of Adele's long-awaited new album 30 have been pressed, causing a huge backlog of prob- and problems in the production line for others wishing to get LPs manufactured uh, with the world's limited resources. As even Ed Sheeran told Australian radio host Carlin Jackie O about getting his recent album Equals pressed, quote, so you have to do it like really up front and Adele had basically booked out all the vinyl factories so we had to get a slot and get our album in there. It was like me, Coldplay, Adele, Taylor Swift, Abba, Elton John. Uh, all of us were trying to get our vinyl printed at the same time, unquote. Social media has since seen a number of artists, labels, and music fans to calling out Adele for taking up the resources, but the problems run much deeper, according to industry insiders. Josh Cohen runs the independent record label Memorials of Distinction and also manages artists, artists including Porridge Radio and Caroline. He told NME about how getting vinyl made has, quote, always been a bit of a, palaver, a bit of palaver. Uh, but even now, he's trying to plot an album release that won't be possible until 2023 at the earliest. Quote, I'm not worried about, I'm worried about it and it's insane, he told NME. If you work in the independent music world, everything is very last minute anyway. Trying to get stuff done six months ahead of time is a big ask. Now it's much more than that. As a manager, it's been a huge source of stress. There are a weird number of factors coming together at once. There's a weird bottleneck of albums being released after a delay because of coronavirus, and there were also a lot more albums made during the pandemic too because they wouldn't couldn't tour. Pretty much every al- every artist in the world is releasing an album between September 2021 and September 2022. Unquote. Admitting that quote labels are now even uh, assuming that the lead times will grow even more. Unquote. Cohen says uh, said that this would not have a knock-on effect. Uh, on our early independent artist creativity if they need to rush things or in order to guarantee that their vinyl can be made during a reasonable time frame. However, he added that the real root of the problem is less of a vinyl crisis and more of a crisis around the monetization of music. Quote, None of this would be an issue if people could just make money from digital music, he argued. The only reason why this matters and is stressful be- is because no one buys CDs anymore. The only way you can get money from fans uh, of more left-field music is through t-shirts and vinyl and cassettes, and cassettes to some freaks. Yeah, I'm not a cassette guy. I know people that are cassette guys, um, but I've, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I was, I was, when you're born in the 90s, you're kind of like out of that, where CDs was the ting at that point. And now I'm into vinyl, but I'm I can't quite get myself into cassettes because I never was into cassettes. The only cassettes I had as a kid was audiobooks of like Harry Potter and Fantastic Mr. Fox and playing those while I was going to uh, to get me to sleep. That was literally it. Literally was it. That's all the cassettes I had. 
Anyways, continue. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, if you want to make any kind of return, this is a quote by the way. If you want to make any kind of return on your investment, then vinyl is the only game in town. If Spotify or YouTube were more equitable, we wouldn't be so reliant on these discs uh, made of crude oil. It's a weird thing. Unquote. Ask about asked about whether Adele's half a million vinyl order for thirty would m- really make much difference. Cohen replied, "Quote: Even if that one run has a big am- impact, I don't think Adele is the force making that happen. Her record label, quite correctly, understand that although she probably makes quite a nice chunk of money from streaming, she's going to make a lot more by selling vinyl. It's the same calculation the rest of us have made, but she's doing it better, or she's just doing it better." Unquote. He continued, "Quote." Excuse me. If Adele got more paid more per stream, even though I'm sure she's doing totally fine, I don't think her label would care so much about the vinyl. I can see why people would blame Adele. She's an easy target. Believe Adele alone. It's not her fault. We're just all trying to uh, to make money at the end of the day. Unquote. On whether or not a solution to the issue was in sight, Cohen called for quote a complete revolution in the ownership and distribution of the money accrued by the major tech platforms. This is not the first time we've heard about this, guys. Not the first time. We've been talking about it regularly on on this search of source. Go peep that. I've been regu- to- regularly talking about it on here as well. Um, through set throughout several couple of years now. Um, you know, if I stre- especially about streaming. I've been right. I've written about it a couple of times. You know, it's just it's 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 just logical um, that you know the bottleneck is due to these tech platforms not giving enough money, right, for streams. They're just not. And it, and that's causing a bottleneck for physical. Um, you know, people put in so much effort on physical and uh, merch now. And that's great, right? That's great if you're into that. Um, but, you know, it's not that great for the artists because they're very heavily reliant on that. They're heavily reliant on touring, merch, and physical copies. That's where they that's where they make the real money. They don't get money off streams that, he- that heavy, right? Um, anyway. Uh, quote... YouTube, Spotify, and Apple all swimming in it, so there must be money somewhere, he said. They're all making money from content from other people's concepts. That may sound ludicrous and radical, but I th- actually think that's more realistic than building a bunch of vinyl plants, unquote. Lags Barnard of Gallows and from Venn Records uh, also noted how, quote, the indie scene operates at a much faster pace than bigger record companies, quote, unquote, which leads to the backlog having a direct impact on artists and music fans who are hungry for new releases, quote, as a, small, as a small label, we're used to getting releases out within a matter of months after signing a band, said Barnard. The current delay in the production uh, has forced us to stagger release dates between phys- digital and physical, not to mention paying for vinyl that we can't even begin to make our money back on for at least six months, unquote. Meanwhile, Jack Clothier from Alcopop Records, home of Tiger Cub, Art Brew, uh, Bozing- Bon Boningen, Boningen, DZ Death Rays, Force Advertising, and many more. These, these are amazing names, by the way. I've never heard of them, but DZ Death Rays? That's a boss name. Uh, said that the production of vinyl is, quote, rapidly becoming uh, untenable, with almost all of our friends waiting at least nine months for their records now, making planning processes for album campaigns in real pain. You could have a kid in that time, said Clovia, from monumental delays to rapid rising costs. The reasons for the nation's shortage of black st- of the black stuff is complicated and multi-headed, but from the an- from anecdotal evidence, there's some seriously key factors. First up, the emergence of vinyl into public culture, uh, and the de- decision for big labels to come on board and press the stuff in droves. Unquote. So let me skip a little, let me skip um nearer to the end because uh, I feel like the point is being made. 
Uh, quizzed if it was ever too simplistic to blame Adele and her album for 30 on uh, the Crisis. Uh, Marksberry, I'm just going to find his name, Chris Marksberry, who's MD of Worldwide Vinyl Manufacturing Broker for uh, Sound Performance. Uh, he says, oh blimey, absolutely, everyone has large requirements for vinyl. Adele, Adele's is probably the biggest order of the year, but there are plenty of big orders. The demand is everywhere, across every label, every artist. Even without Adele, the problem will still be there. As we've heard, next year, he's had it next year, we're just going to uh, see more of the same. You can already see that the problem will be there again, perhaps more extreme, unquote. Last year saw vinyl sales hit their highest since 1990s, uh, having seen huge growth for the 13th year in a row. Figures revealed that nearly 1 in 5, 18% of all album purchases across 2020 were vinyl, with 4.8 million LPs being purchased. The new numbers are up 10% on 2019's figures. And that's, that's, that's right there, right? I am one of those people, and I know several people that, you know, are constantly, you know, looking for, you know, just vinyl stuff. Um, I regularly window shop for vinyl. <laughs> um, I've only copped a couple this year. I'm trying to, you know, park park myself on it. I embargoed myself for, like, over a year on copying vinyl um, just because I don't have a vinyl player, and I find, like, I feel, you know, just collecting vinyl and just having it sit there is just um, a bit illogical. Um, but, you know, sometimes it just... Sometimes it just it just comes in, man. Sometimes you just see a, you know a bit of little Sims or you know a bit of Joel Culpepper, and I'm just like shit, man. I got got hook up the hook up the people, you know what I mean? Got to support, and that's how I only that's, that's the only as a as a as a music listener and as a fan of you know many musicians, I feel like that's the only way I can help, you know what I mean? In that way, um, is copying a vinyl. Um, I feel just. You know, not obligated, but I just want to help. I just want to, you know, give love to these artists, you know, such as Lil Sim, such as Joel Culpepper, and, you know, just cop a vinyl and just give love in that fashion, right? Um, I'm going to see Lil Sims next month, right? That's going to be that's gonna be elite. That's going to end my year on such a high, right? But, you know, that's that's only two things, right? And um, I feel like they're... They're fine, I guess, right? But I'm sure that Sims and Joel Culpepper would love, you know, streaming to be, you know, a worthy place as well. And uh, and uh, these are people that are, you know, I don't say relatively established, right? I feel I feel Sims is in a good place. Joel's in a good place. He has, has his own record label. Um, Sims has been dropping independently, you know, since day one, right? So clearly they found a niche for themselves, right? And that's great, right? Where they can where they can still do their things. But you know, there's plenty of artists that are starting out, right? And uh, I feel that streaming is the problem here again. La di da, right? If uh, if if stream and this is a very industry issue, right? Of the, oh no, can't get vinyl out. Oh no, right? But you know, I don't want to wait nine months for vinyl. I'm I I have to wait months for Nas uh, King Disease Two. I just realised that I have to wait months for that. That obviously that obviously dropped months ago. That ain't coming. The vinyl ain't coming out till next year, um, like spring next year. So that you know that's a great example. Nas with his own label Mass Appeal has to wait. To get vinyl out, that's crazy to think about, right? That's Nas, okay? I was, uh, you know, I don't know how Joel Culpepper did it. Um, shout out to Mr. Bongo, I guess, who did the distribution for him. But um, you know, he got his he got his album out the same. I got the album the same day. I got the the actual album came out on streaming services. I got it on the same day. Same with Sims, and that's just great, right? That's great for me. I love that. Um, but you know, some some artists just aren't lucky on that front. Freaking Nas has to wait. You know what I mean? So. 
I don't know. I feel like um, this is this is bullshitting consumers and it's bullshitting the artists in a lot of ways. But you know, I don't feel like there's much to blame on the you know on the manufacturers um, of or just you know. I don't think the solution is just get more factories. I feel like there should be you know more streams of income, and I feel streaming should be that. Um, there's clearly a bottleneck there. Go see the revenue for Apple Music and Spotify and all of those people. And and the amount of bags they're giving to certain personalities to have their own podcasts. Or, you know, Spotify just um is getting in back getting in the audiobook game now. Um, they just recently bought um I think like a platform for audiobooks and going to integrate that. So they're finding them. They got the money. Pay the fucking artists what they're worth. Simple as that. So now we're hopping to film and television, and this is all about uh, Disney. Disney, future overlords, uh, depending if Amazon <laughs> want to do the same. <laughs> it's just just a race. It's all a race, guys, just to see who monopolizes uh, everything. Um, so this is called a whole new world. Get it? Disney is the latest firm to announce metaverse plans. So it's not just uh, it's not just a uh, sorry Meta doing it anymore. Uh, Microsoft made plan have announced plans recently, and uh, so have Disney apparently. So uh, let's jump right into Disney side of things. This is by Dan Milmo uh, for the Guardian. Let's jump right in. God, the amount of fucking Disney say uh, Disney sayings uh, you can make of this. Hey ho, it's off to the metaverse we go. That's literally how the article starts. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Hey ho, it's off to the metaverse we go. If Walt Disney gets his way, the home of Mickey Mouse and Princess Elsa has revealed it's planned to join the likes of Mark Zuckerberg and Microsoft in the metaverse. The new concept, a blending of the physical and digital worlds where people can interact virtually, is becoming a multi-billion dollar fixation for Silicon Valley executives, including... Excuse me, the Facebook founder who is staking his company on the future of his success. Uh, excuse me. And now Hollywood is taking note too, according to Disney chief executive Bob Chapek, who said on Wednesday uh, the company was preparing to take the leap into virtual reality. Uh, referring to Disney's history of innovation and storytelling, which includes the Mickey Mouse cartoon Steamboat Willie, one of the first to feature synchronized sound, Chapek said, quote, The Walt Disney Company has a long track record as an early adopter in the use of technology to enhance the entertainment experience, unquote. Disney's former executive uh, vice former executive vice president of digital, uh, Tilak Mandadi, wrote in a linked wrote a LinkedIn post in 2020 uh, about creating a theme park metaverse where the quote physical and digital world converge unquote through wearable devices and mobile phones. The metaverse concept also includes augmented reality, where elements of the digital world are laid on top of reality, such as the Pokemon Go game, which is played on mobile phones, or Facebook's recent smart glasses tie-up with Ray-Ban. Speaking uh, during the company's quarterly corporate results, Chapek added, quote, Our efforts to uh, to date are merely a prologue to a time when we'll be able to connect the physical and digital worlds even more closely, allowing for storytelling without boundaries in our own Disney metaverse, unquote. 
Chappet gave no specific details of Disney's plans on the results call, in keeping with a concept that is still very much in its early stages across the tech industry. But he indicated in a further interview on CNBC on Wednesday uh, that the company's Disney Plus streamer service would be involved. In the interview, Chappet said he saw it as an extension of Disney Plus through the three-dimensional canvas, unquote-unquote, uh, he envisions for new types of storytelling which could involve a cast of characters arranged from Mickey Mouse to Snow White, Iron Man, and Luke Skywalker. Disney+, Plus, which has 118 million subscribers to Netflix's 214 million, has already launched a number of hit franchise spin-offs, such as Star Wars Adventure, The Mandalorian, and the Avengers series WandaVision. However, that subscriber total represented a shortfall on the market expansions, with analysts uh, anticipating Disney Plus would reach 125 million users in its latest results. Netflix has also reported slowing subscriber growth as as the relaxation of lockdown measures renews the appeal of out-of-home entertainment and forces executives to consider new ways of boosting signups. However, uh, some of the Disney some of Disney's uh, digital ventures have struggled. This online children's social network club Penguin. I, I didn't. I, I kept. I keep forgetting that was Disney led. Like, I, 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 the amount of memes I still see about Club Penguin is hilarious. But I just. I keep forgetting that it was a Disney thing. Uh, was closed in 2017, a decade after its launch. Its uh, 420 million pounds purchase of Playdom in 2010, which marked the company's entry into social gaming, has uh, had its value written down. Uh, Disney also struggled with Maker Studios, a YouTube network it bought for 500 mil in 2014. Uh, and it's more basically on the metaverse uh, elsewhere. Um, let's mention the Microsoft bit because we've already talked about the Facebook side of it. Microsoft is introducing metaverse for office workers via its Teams product, whose services including uh, include hosting video meetings. Uh, in the first half of next year, Teams will be able to uh, appear as avatars in online meetings, appearing as cartoon as a cartoon in their bit of the screen if they so wish. Teams is used by 250 million people once a month, uh, which gives Microsoft an influential role in shaping the corporate metaverse. And also, game makers Roblox and Epic, the producer of Fortnite, are also working on their own metaverses, and Zuckerberg envisages... I hate hate the word envisage. I I just... I don't know why. I just... I know why. It's the idge. It should be envisioned in any... every sense of the word, but... I don't know... Envisages ugh, just doesn't sound great. Uh, the metaverse, as an array of virtual worlds, are meshed together with people's individual avatars, one in between. Um, so yeah, I've been you know I've been watching a couple of videos, uh, you know, just to read a few things on the metaverse in general, and you know how people see it. And I feel like most people probably will never get into it. Um, and all of this will probably, like, be a thing, maybe, maybe a thing in, like, ten years' time, right, maybe a thing, and by thing, I mean that thing that people do for entertainment purposes, but not really for anything else, maybe for work purposes, I mean, having Microsoft Teams have avatars is not exactly a new concept, right, it's really not, um, you know, how, how long have iPhones been doing that, uh, avatar emoji stuff. Like, how how long has that been going on? Like, at least f- f- a few years now. Like, it's not. It's really. It's kind of the same thing, but just live, right? It's it's pretty much the same thing. It's not too. And they, they probably do that shit on Facetime. You could probably do that shit on Facetime, as far as, far as I know. I've, I don't have an Apple product, so I wouldn't know. But I'm guessing that is possible, right? So, you know, Microsoft Teams doing that and calling it Metaverse is you know a bit of a stretch. But uh, in, in especially in this sense, obviously, factually it's Metaverse. But 
um, you know, just saying it's not um, how, you know, Facebook meta is, you know, uh, advertised their side of the thing, uh, their side of things. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I, I just don't know. I don't really, I can't see Disney benefiting much from this. And I say that from a, 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 a place of th- their audience mainly when it comes to entertainment anyway is pretty much families right you know most of it just comes back to families and you know they're rarely doing mature content right those just adults right <clears throat> most of the time it's for you know just universal pg maybe maybe right and that's fine um that's their prerogative right but i don't really see this being uh, from a monetary standpoint uh, and from a price standpoint, uh, going to be available for, you know, the use to, to utilize, you know, um, how many people actually use virtual, uh, like, uh, Oculus and all that stuff, I don't know if they, they can't call it Oculus anymore, but, um, how, how, okay, let me, let me look sub live, how many people, uh, use VR, there you go, let's, let's see that, how many people use VR, Okay, 171 million. All right, cool. Here we go. So, te- 29 virtual reality statistics known 2021 by Leftronic. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's get some let's get some stats on here. Um, yeah, so 171 people use VR technology today. Gaming VR revenue is expected to reach 22.9 billion in 2020. The game market accounts for 50% of total VR software sales. Only 14% of women have bought a VR device online. So that's interesting. It's, it's more than I thought. I'm not saying it wouldn't be. A, it's not a billion dollar industry. I feel like most things can be a billion dollar industry in these days. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just I just don't know how universal this can be. 171 million in you know worldwide. It's not really that much, right? But again, it's a billion. It's a tens of billion dollar industry. So slice it how you want it. I'm just not sure how this metaverse thing will go down. Uh, I think it'll be something that'll be talked about for the next few months and then probably, you know, come in and out depending on someone, you know, Facebook meta, you know, cre- um, you know, creating a new Oculus device or a new headset that's, you know, thinner, whatever, something like that, right? And, you know, just incrementally adding stuff, new stuff, new stuff that I personally would not want to be a part of in any, any fashion. But then again, for all the negatives aside, I wouldn't mind the ability to teleport. That'd be kind of cool. Um, that's a very futuristic way of thinking about it. But if we get to that point, then then we, then we might be talking on my front. Then we might just be talking. Um, and, you know, there's there's benefits. I'm not saying there's no benefits to Metaverse in general, right? Um, I feel like it could, uh, you know, if they, if they do it in a certain way, it could easily have no... There'll be, like, no reason for people to use cars and therefore, you know, save the environment in that fashion. That'd be great. Um, but... I just feel like these things will be, you know, 30, 50 years down the line to the point where it might not even have a, might not even be a dent and our world might be fucked from an environmental standpoint. But from a entertainment perspective, which is obviously Disney side, Disney side of things, excuse me, I don't really see it. I, I just, I just don't really see it, you know, bearing fruit for at least 10 years. So keep, but you know, by all means, it's not like they they don't have the money to keep going for it.
So I finish off with our final uh, segment, and this is the second of two live segments, and this is all about Colt 26 and the result of Colt 26. As I said, it's recently been finished. Uh, they, you know, signed documentation, um, and basically uh, by the, <laughs> I love it how it was a two-week, a two-week, you know, event, right? Um, you know, multiple protests going on in Glasgow and everywhere else across the world as um, Colt 26 was going on. You know, people inside, you know, politicking how they politic. Um, multiple people giving speeches every day. There was a new speech by you know country. It was uh, you know, very powerful, etc., etc. And all it came down to at the end of the day was India and China watering everything down and blackmailing the fuck out of the whole thing. Amazing. Uh, all that two weeks, and it was just China and India going like, mm, no, we can't, we can't do that, and we're just going to pull out of everything if you don't uh, uh, to bow down to our demands. Brilliant, right? All that two weeks wasted, pretty much. Anyway, so I got this. Um, I found this article. Uh, this is by Alejandra Bolunda um, uh, via ne- National Geographic. It's called COP26 Near's Conclusion with Mixed Signals and Frustration. Um, this was published on the 12th. Um, so, you know, maybe probably, you know, a little bit outdated considering it went into overtime. Uh, November 12th, I think, was supposed to be when it was finishing or the last day of it, or maybe it was the 13th. But either way, uh, I feel like there's good words on here. Um, and uh, I think I feel like it's a good balance of just how things are in the state of play as it pertains to you know the environment as a whole. So let's go. Let's jump right. The stakes were high going into the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow, as were the levels of cynicism and hope. The meeting, a critical follow-up to the 2015 Paris Agreement, came at a time when the brutal, painful impacts of global warming are more obvious than ever. Uh, climate intensified floods, fires, and heat waves affected millions this worldwide this year. Uh, those disasters emphasise the importance of immediate, drastic actions to fix the underlying problem and help people uh, adapt to changes already locked in. Activist researchers, the climate-concerned uh, negotiators, all hope all hope the session would accelerate action to address the growing crisis. But as the meeting reaches its conclusion, there you go, uh, the results are decidedly mixed. Quote: You want to acknowledge that we are progressing, says Samira Savarala. Uh, climate policy expert at the, at the UN uh, development program, but it's not enough and it's not nearly fast enough, unquote. The major themes that emerge from the two-week talks all reflect this reality. Is as negotiators adjust the final text, crucial documents that have to be accepted by all 197 parties to the Paris Agreement, uh, the details may shift, but the bottom line isn't likely to shift dramatically. The central issue is whether there are real plans to keep promises made to the whole, to hold the temperature rise to a tolerable level. In the weeks leading up to the meeting, the conference leader Alex Sharma of the United Kingdom stressed one major goal, to keep 1.5 alive. He wanted world leaders to make new commitments to emissions redu- reductions that, if fulfilled, would keep the planet from warming past 1.5 degrees Celsius. We don't use Fahrenheit here, guys. Um... That's more. That's the more ambitious of uh, of the of two thresholds identified in the Paris Agreement. Beyond which, the frequency and intensity uh, of heat waves, uh, storms, and other climate risks greatly increase. Already, the world has warmed 1.1 degrees Celsius. Though some progress was made, the 1.5 degrees Celsius goal is far from reach. Ahead of the meeting, many countries updated their nationally determined contributions or NDCs. Plans that outline their goals for cutting greenhouse gas emissions. If accomplished, those plans would lead to a planetary warming of about 2.7 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, far above the less ambitious 2 degrees goal adopted in Paris. 
During the meeting, mod leaders announced a flurry of initiatives, pledges, and plans to get net to net zero emissions, some more credible and meaningful than others. India, the world's largest, world's third largest greenhouse gas emitter, said it would hit net zero by 2017, a long way off, but presented an ambitious plan to get half its energy from renewable sources by 2030. More than 100 countries signed a pledge to cut emissions of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas, 30% of, uh, by 2030, which could reduce warming by 0.2 degrees Celsius in the coming decades, uh, brackets, though some analysts, uh, analyses uh, suggest it could have less impact on brackets. Uh, more than 130 countries promised to end deforestation by 2030, preserving the rich forest carbon uh, sinks and biodiversity strongholds. And a group of more than 40 countries, US, China, and India notably absent, vowed to phase out coal. Uh, another coalition said it would stop financing international coal power plant development. A small alliance announced it would begin to phase out fossil fuel production. Other promises on electric vehicles and more also emerged. If all of the specific net zero commitments and not a new long-term targets announced turn into reality, global temperature rise could be held to 1.8 degrees Celsius, according to independent analysts from the Climate Action Tracker organization. Uh, but that is an enormous if, says Nicholas Hohn, uh, a climate policy expert at the Germany-based New Climate Institute and one of the analysts on the CAT report. Quote, are these credible targets? No, not yet, he says. Uh, although countries are providing useful visions, continuing on the quote, not a single country uh, has short-term policies in place to put them on track towards net, such a net zero target, unquote. In fact, according to current policies, countries are on track to emit twice as much by 2030 as they should to keep below 1.5 degrees Celsius. The pledges and promises are almost all good in theory, says Cave uh, Gil Gilan Gilanpour, a uh, climate policy expert and former climate negotiator now at the Centre for Climate and um, Energy Solutions. But he says, quote, it's more important to me measure ambition by the policies that are actually on the table, unquote. When the CAT analysis incorporates uh, only uh, the NDCs that have actual plans for 2030, it shows the planet is still on track to more by 2.4 degrees by 21. Yeah, how, how would you say that? 2100? 2100? I don't know how I'd say that. Even I, I'm not going to live that long, but I, I just wonder how people say it. Twenty one hundred, two thousand one hundred. None of them sound good. Uh, they don't. They you know, don't sound. Uh, they don't roll off the tongue well. Um, twenty one hundred. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably the best. Actually, twenty one hundred. Um, we had uh, quote. We had to be the reality check. The cold shower says Maria Jose de Villafranca. Uh, Casas, a climate policy analyst, love that name by the way, uh, the new climate institute who worked on the CAT analysis, continued the quote, it's important we not celebrate before it's time to celebrate, unquote. Some countries experiencing uh, or many of the worst impacts of climate change, like low-lying Tuvalu uh, in the Pacific or hurricane-battered Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean, have contributed uh, the least to carbon pollution. So they say those more at fault need to take on more of the costs of fixing the problem and helping less developed countries adapt. After the contentious 2009 Copenhagen climate meeting, developing countries extracted a promise from wealthier nations like the US, which is responsible for nearly one quarter of all historical emissions. Those countries would contribute $100 billion, £74 billion, uh, annually to help developing nations. 
Even that amount is far from enough, says Harjeet Singh, a global climate expert at the Climate Action Network. At this point, the OECD estimates uh, trillions a, a year are required to fund a green transition and appropriate ad- adaptations to a hotter world. But even that preliminary promise has not been fulfilled, leaving a deep well of mistrust. Only £18 billion, pounds, 59 billion, uh, 59, $80 billion, 59 billion pounds, was delivered in 2019, the most recent year uh, for which there are solid numbers. The full annual amount is not expected to be reached until 2023. In Glasgow, representatives from developing countries pushed hard to ensure that the missing cash would materialise and to devise a plan for growing the pot after 2025, when the country's promised, uh, when the current promises end. In addition, they asked that at least 50% of the money to, uh, be tagged specifically for adaptation of floods, heat waves, and other in- inevitable climate pressures. Quote, uh, brackets. Uh, today, only a quarter of all climate finance flows towards adaptation efforts. On brackets. African countries suggested contributions of more than one trillion. Uh, that's 853 uh, pounds in billion uh, by 2030. India asked for at least one trillion for itself alone. India, India, like I, I don't know, I, 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 I struggle to, I struggle to like grapple India, right? Because they, ha- they have such a growing population, and you know, like the article said, they had, they are the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases at this point, right? Uh, maybe not historically, but this, at this moment in time, they are, right? Um. And they ask for they they ask for like the most help overall. You know what I mean? Like in terms of just like audacity, they just uh, they just like I want a trillion a year, right? Whereas African the whole entire continent of Africa or the African countries, um, let's just say let's just say all of them, right? In this in this context, right? African countries suggested contributions of more than one trillion, and then just India are, requ- are asking for one trillion by themselves. Is I don't I. I'm. I don't know if I should be impressed by the audacity that India asks, right, or not, or just like completely pissed off that they just keep asking for, for like the most audacious amounts of money, considering this India and they're a growing economy. I'm. I'm not sure how to take it. I'm trying to stay neutral on it at the moment because I'm just like sometimes I just see it, and the fact that, you know they basically hijack the whole thing along with China at the end of at the end of all of it. That's that's where I lean to like they're pissing me off territory, you know what I mean? But then again, they you know they have a reason to be asking a lot. Um, but then again, I, there are cases where they shouldn't be, and they should be they 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 can you know be doing it themselves. But I don't know, I don't know, man. I don't know how to tackle India at all in terms of my just personal thought. But anyway, I'll I'll stay neutral for the moment. Anyway, uh, quote: We need to move forward. Uh, yeah, we need to move toward a framework where all development of finance needs to be focused on climate resilience, says Taylor Dimsdale. <laughs> so I, I just, every time I see Dimsdale, I think of uh, Fairly Old Parents and uh, yeah, just the Dimsdale Dimmerdome home there. Anyway, uh, a climate policy analyst at E3G, a European think tank, uh, continuing the quote This is an important start, but really we need to change the entire system so any investment, public or private, humanitarian aid, disaster risk funding, all of it is what you might call climate proof, unquote. Uh, during the meeting, countries pledged $261 million towards an adaptation fund, more than twice what organisers had hoped to get. A fund, for at least a, a fund for the least developed countries was set at $201 million. Quote, this is in the millions, and we're taking billions, trillions uh, that are needed, says uh, Helen Mountford, a climate policy expert at the World Resources Institute. There's a lot of institutes in this, in this article alone. I'm... I'm 
these are new names to me. Like it's just crazy how many like uh, organizations there are towards this. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, further negotiate negotiations are getting punted to next year's meeting in in Egypt. Even more contentious coalitions of highly vulnerable countries have forced conversations on loss and damage. Uh, climate impacts are leaving some places and communities unsalvageable. Uh, they say. And that loss uh, must be compensated. A kind of climate reparations. Quote. I'm interested in this actually. The situation uh, has become desperate. Says Singh. Uh, developed countries ruin the planet. And now they need to be paying. And de- uh, paying developing countries. And supporting the tra- transition. Unquote. I'm here for that. I'm here for that entirely. Because I, I said it before. Earlier in the show. I'll say it again. Y- you know. There's going to be climate refugees. There will be. Okay, and they're gonna go somewhere. There needs to be a decision on if if you know something like Tuvalu goes underwater, um, uh, you know, more closer and, and even closer, um, uh, cl- cl- more, uh, closer to home, Amsterdam, right? Maybe they'll stay in. Maybe they'll stay in the Netherlands. Maybe not. I'm not sure, right? Uh, Shanghai. They they can go somewhere else in China. They'll probably like move the whole city. Who knows? Like. <laughs> <laughs> knowing Chinese efficiency, they'll probably just do that. Like just move Shanghai a bit. Um, you know, they can't they, they probably can do that. Uh but you know, when it comes to, to something like Tuvalu, Marshall Islands, Antigua Barbuda, where are they going? You know, where, where that and that needs to that they should probably, you know, try and figure out where and decide where they can move their whole entire country and, and their citizens. They'll probably have to have that conversation at some point. I feel like that's you know, definitely should happen. Uh, I, I, mean, I just, I just, just realised something. I've been going on for over an hour. I didn't even clock <laughs> my, my, my time, my time stamping was frozen at forty nine minutes. I was like, oh, I'm making fucking good time here. And then I actually clicked out of it. And it was like an hour. I'm like, oh shit. All right, so let's, uh, let's continue on right quick uh, instead of talking. Uh, some frustrated countries are looking for other ways to get climate justice. Here we go, Tuvalu and uh, Tiga Barbuda. It also to be that they plan to seek damages from wealthy countries in national international court, and I, you know, they have all the right to do that, all the right, all the right at all, um, you know. And I, I get, I, I can see that being just completely bloody and uh, going on for decades. But you know, I feel like they they should do that. Um, so this meeting was also supposed to solidify some crucial aspects of the Paris Agreement: rules about how countries report their progress so they can be held accountable, and rules about how to set up a global ca- carbon market. The proponents say will channel more money towards emissions reductions, reductions and adaptation. Here too, success have been, has been elusive. On the carbon market, activists and negotiators from some developing countries have said they prefer no decision to a bad one leaving open the possibility that the issue will stay unresolved. Also still uncertain is a critical question about timing. In the Paris Agreement, countries decide to revive their NDCs every five years. As climate change accelerates, some say the timeline is too long. They're advocating more frequent check-ins to ratchet up ambitions. Specifically, they hope to get at least one round of new targets by the end of the year. The wrangling over rules echoes the larger pattern at the meeting, says Mountford's, quote, slow progress, unquote, underlain with real anguish. Uh, the stakes for many countries are impossibly higher. For some, their entire existence depends on success and this uh, and other cops. Uh, these meetings are the best chance they get to confront representatives representatives from the developed countries that are responsible for the bulk and the dangers they now face. Quote, everything here is just so interlinked, says Savarella. So there we go. That's the entirety. Um, 
and yeah, man, I just I, I I find and I feel like that I feel like I'm 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 glad I picked that particular article because I feel like that was very measured in terms of um, just uh, laying out the what happened and what actually came out of it. Um, you know, great quotes and um, you know, it's not too it's not too um, I guess you know, end is nigh kind of, kind of vibe, it doesn't have that, which I'm, which I'm cool with, but I do understand if, you know, if you probably are of, of of that, if you probably subscribe to that mentality, I'm here for that, um, but I'm just not here to say, I'm, I'm not here for any of it, when, you know, journalists and, uh, politicians say it was a success, I, I just can't, I just can't, literally, on Channel 4 News the other day, Alok Sharma said, uh, and basically agreed, said, sure, I think that was the exact quote, sure, um, that, um, I think, uh, uh, Thompson, um, uh, he, he, uh, he basically asked a question, he was like, did India and China blackmail you and hijack it? And he said, sure. So, you know, that, that, that and that was on the fossil fuels front, right? Um, you know, they watered down language on fossil fuels, but they, but, you know, people like Alok Sharma keep saying that, like, um, Oh, you know, five years ago, we didn't even have the word fossil fuels in there. That was five years ago. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, okay? The state of play doesn't matter. Uh, the state of play of five years ago doesn't matter to now. You know, I think that five-year timeline, I think that is too sh- I think that is too long. I think it should be yearly, yeah? Uh, I mean, we're gonna ha- we have cops every year, believe it or not. You wouldn't be surprised, wouldn't it? Um, you would be surprised if you, you know, of how new this sounds of, of cop, right? But, you know, it's the, the reason why it says 25 is because there have been 24 beforehand. Did you know anything about it apart from the Paris Agreement? When was the first time you heard about COP? For me, it was Paris Agreement. I didn't even know that was in COP. I just heard of Paris Agreement. And then I heard Donald Trump basically take go out of the Paris Agreement. And that's another thing. All of these are voluntary. These are just, like, things we, you know, that politicians and, uh, the com- and the governments agree upon. You know, handshake agreements, basically. This ain't by law. Right, they're not going to get you know sued for not fulfilling it. People are going to die instead. That's the price. That's the price of a handshake right now. That is the price of all the handshakes that happened during COP twenty six. People's lives. That's it. People's lives, livelihoods, and the history and the futures of of several of a lot of countries. A lot of countries. You know. Um, the entire like a uh, uh, equator of um uh, of Africa that sits on the equator, you know, Sahara Desert and everything beside that, mate, that shit's gonna be un- unlivable in a few in oh and soon. I don't know, I don't know how soon, but soon, it, it already is. It already is fucking hot. Uh, I remember like I saw a a, a piece a uh, couple of, a few days ago, and a reporter went out to, went out there and was just basically explaining and showing how fucking hot it is and how hard it is to even get water. The fight for water is happening in some places already. So I don't know, man. Like it's it's incredibly easy to be pessimistic about it. It really is. Um, I try not to be. I try to personally be, you know, kind of level-headed with it. Um, you know, just seek out the facts and go from there. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm not fa- financially inclined at all. So when people when people in financial circles saying you know we can't just do this i'm like i'm i'm i mean so okay would you rather would you rather take in the whole of tuvalu or would you rather you know get this shit done as soon as possible 
you know because I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna very I'm gonna there's gonna be a time and I'm gonna st- I'm gonna finish off here and stick it to the UK right with all the immigration shit that's been going on recently I think like a record number of uh, people crossed the channel uh, recently as well I think I saw that um, so it's funny with all the immigration uh, laws that are coming in and with all the you know just the force that they that pre Patel and all of them are using. Uh, and all the and all the forceful language they're using is not acceptable. Da, 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 da. Close the door. Da, da, da. You know, with all of that, there's going to be a choking point between climate refugees and hardline immigration, and I just wonder which one's going to give. Now that sounds incredibly masochistic on my part, but I'm genuinely interested in how. I'm not excited for it. I just want to say that because it can sound masochistic if I said it. Uh, first, said, I'm I'm raring to see that, but I'm very interested in how that's going to play out because it's going to happen, and I'm sure UK probably won't be you know t- too high on the list considering it's such a small country, right? But we're a G7 country. We're very high up on that fash- on that food chain. It's 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 going to be there's going to be some there's going to be some people coming in as climate refugees. We probably won't take in as much as you know the US will, um, or I don't know, Russia, China. I'm not sure, but it's going to be very fascinating. And um, yeah, I, it's it's there's a lot there's a lot to this. But um, hopefully, I've, hopefully I've um, tackled some of it, um, and obviously there's plenty more to tackle. And uh, you know they'll be they'll continue being um, you know on the road to Egypt, I guess now, on on the COP front. Um, but you know the environment talk doesn't stop there. Um, same way Black History Month isn't uh, equated to just February in the US and October in the UK. It continues happening, and it's a continuous conversation. And environment, and uh, you know society, and everything else is a constant. And um, and that's why that's how I that's how I like to see the see this show in general. But with that said, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor, and this has been Moscow. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his link in the full show notes. Uh, thanks to Oprex for being to use the track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High for being to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall definitely try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.